Hey, good morning. How is everybody? Yeah. Hey, my name is Zach. And if you're a first time guest, I just want to say welcome to you as well as Heather did. Man, we kind of view this. I view this as like our house. And so you're our guest today. And so, man, we're so glad that you're here. Before we get started, uh, just a couple quick things. Uh, one is Parents Night Out is February 11th, um, not in September. We might do one in September, but it, just so I'm going to clarify that. Uh, I think Heather said September, but it's February 11th, so this next Saturday. Uh, so you guys are like, man, they're on the ball planning ahead. Uh, no, we're not. Um, but uh, another thing is, I, I think we need to go ahead and just you start with creating some honesty. Now, if you're new, I don't want you to freak out. Like we, we try to be honest and authentic here today. So I, I want to know who's in the audience um, in terms of the, the game, the other thing that's happening today besides life group launching. So um, if you're cheering and you're going for the Patriots, raise your hand up. Okay. All right. A couple stand up. All right. If you're going for the, uh, the Falcons, raise your hand. If you're going for the commercials, raise your hand. If you're going to a movie, raise your hand. All right, a couple of y'all, right? All right, so I got, I got a pretty good idea, so I know who to pray for today. Um, but uh, now, listen, we're in a series called Choose Joy. So if you are new and we gather together um, during this time, we, we try to look at what the Bible teaches us in, in a series. And th- this series, we're walking through a book uh, in the New Testament called the Book of Philippians. And it's written by a man named Paul to this church, this group of Christians in a, a town called Philippi. Now, Paul's writing this from prison, which is really important to understand because, because the, 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 one of the main themes is about joy and how you can have joy and how you can choose joy. And so he's writing this from probably one of the hardest places in his life saying that, that really, and this is the big idea we're looking at this whole series, is that joy is not just a possibility, but joy is a promise. That, that in Jesus, that, that, that name of Jesus we just sang about, the person of Jesus, that joy is not just a possibility. Joy is a promise. That joy is something that we can choose to experience regardless of what's going on around us. Look at a couple of verses we've been using just to kind of frame out this thought. John 15, 11, Jesus says this. He says, I've told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Not you might be filled with joy, not you, you know, maybe you'll be filled with joy. He said, I've told you these things. I've told you my truth. I've taught you all these things so that in me, you will be filled with joy, but not just a little bit of joy. He says, your joy will overflow, that our joy can overflow, that, that if we choose to, we can experience joy in our life. Well, where that comes, becomes a challenge is, is if we're going through a difficult time, right? Because the Bible also says that difficult times are a part of life. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 30, verse 5. He says, weeping may last through the night. So the Bible is not, I think sometimes we, we kind of view the Bible, if we're not careful, as kind of this pie-in-the-sky philosophy that's not real to life. The Bible's extremely real to life. The Bible is, is, is very, very practical, and it's very, very focused on who you are, who I am, what we go through. And, and God's word says, listen, weeping may last through the night. That There are times where we're going to experience sorrow. We're going to experience grief. But here's the promise. But joy comes with the morning. Is that joy is coming. Joy is not just a possibility. It's a promise. And the way that we kind of grab hold of that is that we choose through the power of God inside of us, we choose that joy. We choose to be joyful. And we've been walking through this book of Philippians 
and looking at what are some of the ways that, that God wants to work in us to position us to be better able to choose joy in everything. What are some of those things that we can do to, to kind of put ourselves in the right place so that when we experience times, no matter whether they're good or whether they're bad, that we can be in a position to choose joy and truly experience that joy that, that he's been talking about. And so to kind of catch up, we, we begin looking at the very first week of this series, we talked about how joy can be found in the right kind of relationships and how we all need the right kind of people in our life. And those people can help us choose joy. We talked about, or Marcy talked about the second week, that joy can be found in difficulty. That even in difficult times, joy is not just a possibility, it's a promise. We can find it. Uh, week three, we talked about joy and integrity, that if we want to live our lives in a way that positions us to be strong and choosing joy, we need to live our life in a consistent way, that what we say we believe, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ like I am, is actually what we are living out in our life, and there's consistency and integrity in our life. And then last week, Ryan talked about finding joy and humility, and how when we choose to be humble and recognize what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us, and then we live with the same attitude as Paul writes, that Jesus Christ had, we're able to choose and experience joy. And so today I want to, I want to kind of turn a little bit, because our focus has been about our joy, about, about kind of how you can find joy, how I can find joy. But, but Paul in his letter, he kind of focuses a little bit differently in, in the passage we're going to look at, because he wants to talk to us not just about our lives, he wants to talk to us about how we can actually help others experience joy, how we can help others experience joy. Joy. Let's, so if you have your note sheet out, pull that out if you want to take some notes. The verses will be on the screen. You can also pull uh, your scripture out. But Paul's writing, so chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Here's what he says. He says, If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. So remember, Paul's in prison. He's writing into a church in Philippi. He's in a prison in Rome. And so he's saying, listen, I hope, my prayer is this, if God wills this, if God's good with this, that, that I'm going to send Timothy to you. Now, who's Timothy? Well, Timothy, we see in Acts chapter 16, the book of Acts, that Paul meets Timothy as he's traveling on what was called one of his missionary journeys. So Paul was taking the, the good news of Jesus to all these people who had maybe not heard the good news of Jesus and, and starting churches and, and planting churches. He's doing all this kind of stuff. And as he's traveling around, he comes across this young guy named Timothy. Now, the Bible says that Timothy was a very faithful follower of, of the way of Jesus. And, and, and he, he had a calling in his life to minister to others. And so Paul invites him to join their company, their, their group, as they travel around spreading the message of Jesus. But we see something very quickly about Timothy and his kind of his servant's heart. Because Paul says, if you're going to join us, then you need to be circumcised. See, Timothy was a Greek. He wasn't a Jew. He says, you need to be circumcised. And I want you to be circumcised so that that's not a stumbling block for the Jewish people we go and take the message of Jesus to. Now, if you don't know what circumcision is, don't Google it, okay? For goodness sakes, don't Google it, right? Um, look it up um, in like a Bible dictionary or ask the person next to you or you can email me and I'll tell you what it is. But um, just, you know, we'll go there. But if you, if you, most of you know what it is. But so imagine this. Like, we get complaints from some people in our church because we make you fill out an application to serve, 
We say, listen, you want to serve in children's ministry? Here's an application. Do a criminal background check. You're like, oh, that's so much paperwork. Oh, you know. It's like, hey, you know, you want to be a life group leader? Fill out this application. Oh, it's, I want to fill out the paperwork. Why do I need paperwork? Why do I got to do all that kind of stuff? Listen, Timothy had to be circumcised to go on a mission trip, right? <laughs> now, let's not complain about a little bit of applications, right? I mean, we're not, the bar is pretty low compared to that, right? But, but, but it shows part of his character. That he was willing to do whatever it took for Jesus. We're going to talk more about that. But Paul says, okay, I'm in prison. I'm going to send Timothy to you. And here's, the, here's why, I, why I want to do that. Is because then when he comes back and he tells me about your faithfulness, he tells me about how you, the Philippian church, how you're serving God, how you're being faithful to God's command, how, how you're growing in your faith so that when, you, when, when he comes back with the report of your faithfulness, it will cheer me up. It'll bring me joy. See, we not only hold the power through Jesus in our lives to choose joy and experience joy for our own lives, but we hold an incredible power that we can help other people experience the joy of Jesus through our lives. Write this down. Here's kind of how I said it in your notes. That our faithfulness can foster another's joy. That our faithfulness our faithfulness to God, our being the type of people that God is calling us to be as followers of Jesus, that our faithfulness can foster, can, can, can promote, can help joy come and be experienced in another person's life. And so this whole call of choosing joy in, in our lives is not just about us. It's about what God wants to do in and through us, even for others, that we can help other people. Because listen, we all know that other people affect our lives, probably more than they should, if we're honest, Right? You know, you know, this is parents, if you're a parent, you know, the joy that comes when your kid makes a good decision. Like they come home from school and they're telling you, hey, this is what I did today. And, and, and they did the right thing. They did the thing you've been teaching them and they're, they're doing, you know, they're on the right path. And you're like, oh my gosh, like this joy comes inside of you. Why? Because they were faithful to what they know to be true. But every parent who's also had a child maybe turn away from Christ or make some bad decisions been disappointed by our kids can also recognize how that reality makes it even harder for us to find joy in that moment. See, we have the power through our faithfulness to foster another person's joy. And Paul says, I want you, Timothy, or I'm going to send Timothy to you. He's going to come back and because he's going to share with me about your faithfulness, my joy is going to grow. It's going to cheer me up. It's going to help me in my difficult time truly realize the full promise of joy in my life. And he doesn't just say it in this one place. He actually said it earlier in Philippians chapter 2, 19, or sorry, we already did that. Uh, chapter Philippians 2, verse 2. He says, I want you to make my joy complete. He said, I want you to make my joy complete. Why? By or how? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, your faithfulness will make my joy complete. And so today I want to talk about this. I want to talk about how we can live our lives in, in such a way where we can help foster joy in the lives of other people. How when people think about us, we'll bring joy to their mind. Because I don't know about you, but this, this season in our culture, if I'm being honest with you, I'm struggling some days to find joy. Like when I go on social media or I watch the news or I have a conversation or over here conversations about, you know, their politics or, you know, protests or, you know, administrations and decisions and tweets and all that kind of stuff. 
Like, I don't know about you, but it's just, it's hard to see for me. It's hard to just see the division, the divisiveness, just the negativity all around. And, and, and I was thinking this week, I was like, man, I just, I need somebody to help me choose joy. I need, I need people in my life, right? Who, when, when I look at them, when I talk to them, when I see their lives, they help me find joy. That's what Paul's talking about. And Paul goes on and he uses two examples. The first one is Timothy, the very guy he talked about. And he gives Timothy, uses Timothy as this example of how Timothy's faithfulness in serving has actually brought Paul joy. Look at this in verse 20 through 24. It says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves, but not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen here to me. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. So he starts talking about Timothy and he says, listen, Timothy is like nobody else. He's unique. The way he serves, the way he gives of himself, his life brings me joy. And so he uses Timothy as an example of the type of person that we we, 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 we want to try to be so we can bring joy to other people. But then he also talks about another person, a guy named Epaphroditus. And he talks about the example that Epaphroditus is for us in, in suffering. Look what he says, verse 25. It says, meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. So Epaphroditus was actually one of the church members of the church in Philippi. And the church sent Epaphroditus to Rome to, to go to Paul and to help take care of him. See, back in, in Paul's day, the government didn't bear the responsibility, really, uh, at least totally, of caring for prisoners. It was up to their family, their friends, their community to provide them with certain essentials, certain needs, certain things that they, that they would like to have. And so the, the church gathered together some stuff for, for Paul, and they sent Epaphroditus there to minister to Paul while he was in prison. And he says, he was your messenger to help me in my need. He said, I'm sending him back because he's been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I'm all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you'll be glad to see him. And then I won't be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. He says, not only is there Timothy who brings me joy in my life and how he serves, look at Epaphroditus who came all this way to serve me, to bless me, to minister to me. And it almost cost him his life. He got sick, was on his deathbed. But his willingness to, to give him himself and to suffer well, to go through difficult times well, it, it gave Paul strength to be joyful. And we see, as I was looking this week and just studying, three characteristics in, in both Timothy and Epaphroditus that, that I think are, are characteristics for anyone who is a person that brings joy to others. 
And so if, if we want to be that type of person, if we want to be a person that fosters joy in another's life, I want to share with you just three practical characteristics, three things I think we should try to attain. We should strive to be in the example of Timothy and, and Epaphroditus that, that will help us to, to help others choose joy. First one is this, write this down in your note sheet, it is that Epaphroditus and Paul both placed others before themselves. And somebody who brings joy, who fosters joy, is somebody that, that places others before themselves. Look at what Paul says about both these men. Philippians 2.20, talking about Timothy, he says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. He said, listen, Timothy is unique because there's a genuineness in his life where he genuinely cares about your welfare. Well, how would, how would he know that? Well, because he was constantly putting other people before himself. He was constantly serving, praying. He was giving himself for other people. And Paul says, listen, Timothy's unique in this. Like he's, he's, he's somebody we need to look up to. Not being perfect, but he's, he lives his life in such a way where he puts others before himself. You know, I wonder this, can, can people say the same thing about me? Can they say the same thing about you? I mean, what a great legacy, a great reputation that when they think about you, they think about me, they say, man, you know, Zach really puts others before himself. He genuinely cares for other people. You know, when people genuinely care about us, it brings joy to us, doesn't it? When people don't just give lip service to their love or their care or compassion for us, but they actually live that out. It can bring joy even in the darkest times of our life. He says Epaphroditus was the same way. He was somebody that gave himself of himself for others. Philippians 2.25 says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. So Paul uses these, these uh, you know, very loving, very relational terms that he was a brother. He was like a brother. He was a, a co-worker. He was a partner with me. He was a fellow soldier. Like he fought for the, the, the right things. And, and it says that he was your messenger to help me in my need. That, that Epaphroditus came and he came and he, he served and he, he, he gave of himself. He put others before himself, even to the point of, of, of almost losing his life because of sickness. But there's this verse in verse 26. It, you see something else about Epaphroditus in, in his heart. Read this with me. He said, I'm sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. I was reading that this week and I thought, man, that says a lot about a person's heart. So in his time of need, as he was almost dying, as he was sick, as he was not sure he was going to make it, Epaphroditus, his heart was burdened for the people that might hear that he was sick and be worried about it. Like when he, when, when he was at the place where he had every right to say, okay, let's focus on me for a little bit, right? He was more concerned about the Philippians who might hear that he was dying and it might cause them to not be joyful. It might cause them worry. He gave himself to others so much that even at his lowest point, his concern was for other people. And Paul said, listen, those two men have brought me joy. See, if we want to bring joy to other people, if we want to foster that joy in the lives of others, we've got to be people who put others before ourselves. We've got to put others before 
ourselves in, in, in every area of our life as individuals and uh, as families and even as a church. You know, I was thinking about this, this this week. You know, so many churches turn inward. And I was talking to somebody on the lobby and they said they heard a, uh, another pastor kind of preach on the same thing one time. And they quoted a statistic that, that about nine years of age is when a church begins to turn inward. We're coming up on nine years as River Club Church. And they said there's something that happens to churches if they're not careful, that they begin to turn inward. They begin to view church. They begin to view things based upon what's best for them. But the reality is this, is that if we want to be a church and continue the legacy of being a church that brings joy to others, then we've got to make sure that we don't become a church that becomes focused on us, but we keep the focus on others. See, I believe this, that as a church, that we need to be about the person not here yet more than the person who is here. Because when we become a follower of Jesus, when we make that decision to follow him, to trust him, to give our life to him, it's at that point that our life is no longer about us. That when we become a follower of Jesus, our life becomes about others. Our life becomes about his mission. And the same thing is true for a church. I think there's a lot of churches who are very happy places for everybody that's a part of the church, but makes no difference in the community of people who aren't part of the church. I believe God has for us a mission to not just be about us, but to live our lives in such a way where we're thinking about others. Because if we want to bring joy to this world, if we want to help others experience joy, we've got to put them before us. And that means that maybe we're going to have to find times in, in, in our relationship and our being part of River Club Church where we put our preferences aside for what we believe to be best for the people who need to hear the message of Jesus. That we need to sacrifice what might be easy for us, convenient for us, what, what we're used to, what we like, so that we can do what other people are looking for in this world that points them to Jesus. And I believe that that makes us uncomfortable sometimes, but that's what it means to be the church. Because Jesus said that at a certain point, life is not going to be about you anymore. Look at uh, Mark 10, verse 45. Jesus said, for even the son of man, even himself, he said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. That to bring joy to the world, to bring hope to the world, as individuals, as a church, we've got to be willing to put others before ourselves. The second thing we see that both Timothy and Epaphroditus did, and Paul actually modeled this as well, is, is that he put and they placed Christ before themselves. Not only did they place others before themselves, but they placed Christ before themselves. And I think probably this is the thing that allowed them to do both the other two things we're going to talk about. Look what Paul says about these two men, about Timothy in verse 21. He says, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I love about Paul. Paul was very honest. So in complimenting Timothy, he's actually slamming somebody else, right? Because he says, all the others. Well, who are all the others? Well, all the others are maybe some of the people that ministered with Paul. All the others are maybe some of the people that Paul's written to. 
All the others are some of the people like followers of Jesus who haven't quite done the same thing. And he says, listen, all the others care only for themselves. But Timothy is unique in that he, not, he, he, he does what matters to Christ Jesus. That his, his focus wasn't just on others, but his focus was to put Christ, to put Jesus before all things. We see the same thing in Epaphroditus. Verse uh, 30, he says, for he risked his life for the work of Christ. That he literally was willing to give his physical life for the work of Jesus Christ. That what Jesus was doing, the message of hope, of forgiveness, of love, of, of, of just fullness, that Epaphroditus was willing to risk his life, and he did, for that very thing. And he did that because he placed Jesus, he placed Christ before himself. See, Jesus tells us this, that what it means to truly follow him, to, to be what he calls a disciple, a follower, a learner, is, is not, it's not a half-hearted commitment. And it's not a convenient commitment. It's actually much deeper than that. Look what he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. He said, listen, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to live and, and learn from me, he says, you need to do a couple of things. The first one is this, is that you must deny yourself. And to deny ourselves mean that we put our wants, our passions, our desires, and we deny those things so that we can focus on the things that Jesus says is most important. He says that we need to take up our cross. The cross was an instrument of death. He means that we need to die, not just deny ourselves, we need to die to ourselves and be willing to, to die to anything we need to die to so that we can more fully follow Jesus. And he says that we need to follow him, walk in his footsteps, do the things that he's called us to do in the way that he modeled for us to do them. That that's what it means to truly follow him. So Paul says, listen, these men brought joy. If you want to bring joy, guess what? Learn to put others first. Learn to put Christ first. And here's the third thing he says about in this characteristic, is that they proved themselves faithful. They proved themselves faithful. And when do you prove yourself? Well, you, you really prove yourself in difficult times. And it was their faithfulness in difficult times that gave validity to what they said they believed. Look what he says about Timothy, verse 29, or verse 22. He says, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me preaching the good news. He, he, he proved himself. He wasn't just about having a potential. He actually did something with that. He wasn't, you know, a guy that, you, that, that Paul looked to and said, man, he, he could do so much for Jesus. He actually did much for Jesus. That he was stayed faithful in temptation. He stayed faithful in the task that he was given. He, he stayed faithful in difficult times. And Epaphroditus, we see the same thing. That I mean, he stayed faithful even to the point of, of being on his deathbed. 
In verse 29, Paul says to the, the Philippian people, here's how you need to respond when Epaphroditus comes back. He says, welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. He said, give him the honor that people like him deserve. That faithful people deserve honor. And see, if we're going to do that, this faithfulness has to become a part of who we are, right? Because we've all been in situations and we've all known people who, you know, we could depend on. And those people we could depend on and that we could trust in, you know, they, they brought joy to our life. But then there are others who, you know, maybe let us down and it made us harder to choose joy, right? So here's the question I was thinking about this week. Well, then how, how do we stay faithful? Like, what was the thing that they did that helped them to stay faithful, to stay faithful in difficult times, to put others before themselves, to put Christ before themselves? What was that thing? And I came to this thought, write this down in your notes. Our focus will determine our faithfulness. That our focus will determine our faithfulness. As I was thinking about that, because what we focus on, I believe, determines the direction that we go. Where our focus is will determine our faithfulness. And, and here's what Paul did. Paul does in this letter. He gives two choices we can make. The, the first one, in uh, Philippians 1.21, he's talking about the focus of his life, the choice that he's made. Here's what he says. He says, for to me to live is Christ <clears throat> and to die is gain. He says, for to me right? For me, my focus is Jesus. That what I, who I, who I'm looking to is Jesus. Who I'm trusting in is Jesus. Who I'm following is Jesus. That that was his focus and his focus of Jesus first, of, of Jesus only, of, of Jesus being the, the direction of my life. It determined his faithfulness. It, it gave him the potential to be faithful. But he also talks about some others. And we talked about this verse a few minutes ago, Philippians 2.21. says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So he says there's really two types of people. There are those who focus on Jesus, and there are those who focus on themselves. And those who focus on Jesus are the ones that we see living out their faith in such a way where their faithfulness is bringing joy to other people. But when we don't focus on Christ, it's so easy to get distracted, to become passionate about the wrong thing, to become focused on ourselves more than others, focused on ourselves more than Jesus. And so as I was thinking about this, you know, the, I was going to leave this kind of a takeaway, something to think about this week. And here, here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Is your focus leading to a faithfulness that fosters joy in others? Is your focus, who you're focusing on, what you're focusing on, is it leading to a faithfulness? A faithfulness to God, a faithfulness to his word, a faithfulness to his truth, a faithfulness to, to putting others before ourselves, to putting Christ before ourselves, to being proven faithful in difficult times. Is that faithfulness there? And is that faithfulness fostering joy in other people? Because see, if the answer to that is yes, 
then I believe we are positioned in our lives to be people that fosters joy. But if we look at that question and we honestly say, you know what? I don't know that it is. Then we're going to have a hard time being the person we want to be, the person that brings joy to others. And see, here's the, here, here's, here's the coolest thing about this. Is that one of the best ways that we can experience joy is by bringing joy to other people. See, and it's so cool how in God's word, when he calls us to do something, even for somebody else, so often there's a blessing for us. See, when you put others first, when you put Christ first, when you prove yourself faithful, I guarantee you this, not only are you gonna foster joy in others, but you're gonna foster joy in your own life. And so not only when we fail to be faithful, are we limiting what God wants to do in others? We're ultimately limiting what God wants to do in us. And because God wants you to find joy, because he promised you joy, what he wants more than anything else is for your focus to be on him so your faithfulness can bring joy to others. And that is the greatest joy you can experience. So where do you, you need to focus? Are you focusing on the wrong thing this morning? It's easy. So easy. Are you maybe finding yourself not as faithful as you want to be about the, the right things? The great thing about Jesus is, is that there's always a second chance. There's always a new chance. There's always a chance to say, Jesus, I don't want to go this way anymore. Will you help me go this way? That's what I want to invite you to do in this time. We're going to sing together this song, and it's a, a chance for you to just respond. It might be that you need to come to the front and just kneel here and take a posture of humility and just pray. Maybe about what God's doing in your life about this, or maybe about something completely different that you're just walked in with and you're struggling with it. Maybe you want to write out that prayer. You can leave it on one of these fences. There's some paper over there and we'll take those as a staff and we just pray over those specifically this week. Maybe you need to come like some did in the first service and light a candle as a symbolic way to say through a white candle, this is my prayer, Jesus. This is the need I have. Or, or maybe this is the, the prayer you answered for me and I want to declare you and say thank you. Or a red candle that says today I choose to follow Jesus for the very first time. Whatever that responses that you need to do. This is your moment. This is your time. I want to invite you to take it. We pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this day, for your truth, for your word. And God, we come in this moment just saying, thank you. Thank you for the promise of joy. Not just the possibility, but the promise. And that through our faithfulness, God, we can foster joy in others. So God, however we need to respond to take a step closer to you this morning, I pray we would do that. This time is yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and pray? We're standing and singing with me.